What's brewing, ATX? I'm Ian Grossman. Welcome back to another episode. I'm here with my sidekicks, Jonathan Radcliffe. Hello, hello. And Greg Carlson. Howdy. Thank you for joining us today as our guest is here in honor of Texas Wine Month. We're joined today by Randy Hester, owner of Ciel Buteau. Said that right? Perfect. A local wine created in 2014 with the goal of creating high-quality wine proudly made with 100% Texas-grown grapes from the High Plains region. Thank you, Randy, for joining us today. Absolutely. In this episode, you'll learn about the Ciel Buteau Winery, ways to celebrate Texas Wine Month, and Randy's here with some delicious-looking wines. We've got a whole spread out in front of us that he's going to let us sample, so hopefully... All of us and the listeners will leave today as wine experts. Just a quick reminder, this podcast is your one-stop shop for all things ATX, from tips on the food and beverage scene to developments in the real estate world to interviews with local small businesses and those making a big impact in our community. And of course, each week we feature a local beer, wine, or spirits. You can get your little taste of all that Austin has to offer. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at What's Brewing ATX. Hit that subscribe button wherever you tune into your podcast. If you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating. Maybe drop a comment. Be sure to stick around for the weekly brew at the end of the episode where we'll discuss how downtown parking in Austin will soon be putting a bigger dent in your wallets. Oh. Yeah, it's a sad story. So, as I mentioned, we've got quite the wine display sitting in front of us. Randy, he did it right. <laughs> so if you can take it away give us a rundown of what we'll be drinking today and i mean not only did you bring wine glasses but we've got little solo cups here you said they're spit cups right so give us yeah as we're drinking these tell us the real way how are we supposed to drink this wine how do you taste how do you taste wine? uh well i'm randy hester i have cl buteau wines uh 100 texas all the time as you mentioned um and you look Texas. You know, you got the beard going on. You got, oh, yes. you got the hair. Love just it. do it. You know, uh, that's what I feel good in. You know, just, yeah. just uh, in, in California, I started growing my hair out uh, about two or three years before we left. And um, I just went with it. I like <laughs> grow it. the beard, grow the hair. Because I was, I was, sh- I was like, sh- shave, no hair. Um, you know, working shaved? hard. Sh- shave, no hair. Yeah. No. It works. Yeah, yeah. It works. It <laughs> yeah, works here in Austin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Natural so, fit. Getting after it, but yeah, um, you know, uh, uh, the facade aside, um, you know, it's the wine. Uh, I, I love making wine. That's that's what I like to do. I like to make wine. You know, selling it's fun. Getting out there and getting around and doing things, but that's what gets me up in the morning. I'm very fortunate to know that that's what makes me tick. Uh, I think sometimes people live and die and never really know what makes them happy. Mm-hmm. Making wine makes me happy. That's so awesome. when I can say, when you come back and say, hey, man, I had your rosé at Thanksgiving or I just sent your Tempranillo to my mom in Chicago or whatever, like that's winning for me. Like that's that's everything that I'm in this to do awesome. right there. Yeah. So, yeah, so what we're going to have today yeah. is our Albarino finished in Garrison Brothers bourbon barrels. Yeah. We're going to have our 2018 um, just released rosé, Ciel Buteau rosé, and the 2017 Tempranillo. We released that in May. 
And what is the first one again? Say that. Alberino. What is an Alberino? I've never heard of that. Alberino is a varietal. It's uh, like Cabernet, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir. This is a different grape varietal called Alberino. Cool. And what we did, Alberino is a white wine, uh, typically known uh, Spanish coastal um, seafood wine. Okay. So rich citrus flavors, salinity, really looking for, for oysters and shrimp and things like that. Finished in the bourbon barrel, yeah, what it did was say. this bourbon aroma, and it added this, this fleshy texture, this weight, because alcohol has viscosity. Like like a sweet, um, like a sweet uh, drink might have a thickness to it. Mm-hmm. Alcohol has that, mm-hmm. has that same kind of viscosity in the mouth, kind of weight. And so, what happened when we put this crisp lemon salinity kind of wine in that out in that bourbon barrel? What we came up with was this the bourbon aroma, this weight in the mouth, but like an overall white wine. It's like a, it's like an Albarino cocktail. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. I'm fired up about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> my my eyes lit up when I was reading. Sarah sent over a, the list of, of what you were bringing on. Yeah. And when I saw Garrison Brothers, I was I was just excited to see what in the world were. Is this where we taste? This is where we taste. Oh, Cheers. I hope so. All right. <laughs> yeah. Going first with the Garrison Brothers. Mm-hmm. Well, so how do we taste? What do? Got it. Sniff. Yeah. Sniff. Sip. Swirl around the mouth. Spit if you like. No one spits. No one spits. (laughs) Yeah, so what you're doing is immediately in the glass, while we're sitting here, we're at dinner, we're at the meeting. Um, We've got the wine. The glass gets served to us. The bottle gets served to us. There's a whole presentation with wine, right? There's this whole history and tradition around wine. Comes to the table, goes to your glass. You're looking at the colors already. Um, typically you're going to be on, on some kind of lighter, maybe, um, tablecloth. So you can see the whites and the reds and you can kind of see the, the darker red of the Tempranillo or the, the, the color of the Albarino color sight is what you're looking at first. Next thing you're doing is you're smelling it. And I love to smell wine when I'm making wine. I want aromas coming out of the glass while we're sitting and talking between sips. I kind of want to smell it, like just come up in my face, you know, and I want to smell it. It makes me want to drink more of that wine. That's what I want my wines to do when they're at home on your tables. Okay. Yeah. Man, I'm not sophisticated. When I listen to that, I'm like, that's get it. That's me slicing (laughs) and dicing your mentality. That's me trying to figure out how to get to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you don't get all that, that's okay. Yeah. I hope you get some smell. And then I hope that makes you want to bring it to your mouth and drink it. Mm-hmm. But all the other stuff, the details of getting that to you, that's 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 what I'm about. That's, that's the fun part. Yeah, that, yeah, it is for me. That's the fun part. So, what would you pair this with? What would you? When would you drink it? The most. What's the most common time to drink this? Uh oh, man, cold. When, cold. when it is hot out yeah. and you need a cold wine, this is the wine. This is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we did so Austin all the time. Austin, uh, 11 and a half months of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we did some research, some hand quotes research. Yeah. To do, because uh, I was asked recently what pairs well with, with uh, barbecue with Texas wines. So, of course, I had to go research some barbecue Try pairs. Barbecue. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Mark Black over Terry Black. I saw you roll there yeah, last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he hooked it up. He, um, man, we rolled in with all this wine. 
all, he, all this food, all these sides. The Albarino finished in Garrison Brothers barrels uh, paired perfectly with the turkey. Like the, the turkey. smoked turkey. Ooh, and, turkey. And if, yeah, if you haven't had the turkey there, it's ridiculous. So good. Oh, it's it. so good. Yeah. Turkey. Yeah, um, giving me hunger for Terry Blacks right now. Right, <laughs> right. So I, I can actually, I have that like flavor profile of the barrels. It's really good. Mm. Good, and and it, I just wanted some finesse. I didn't want like over bourbon, you know, shot of Jack kind of thing. I wanted some finesse. I wanted a collaboration with that. Um, the other, the other food item that went really, really well with this. I mean, like. Spot on was their uh, cheddar, uh, that jalapeno sausage. Oh, it was crazy. Well, because of the because of the pepper, because of the smoke, the, yep. they were like these were like peas in a pod. Oh, yeah, it was pretty cool. That was a great pairing. Awesome. Well, great start. Great, I'd say. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess so we'll see, first first question. Yeah. We just we want to know your story. How'd you get here? Right. So um, where did it all start? Yeah, back up a few comments we've already made. Um, in 2006, I moved to Napa Valley. Um, I'm from Houston. I was working with a distributor and meeting people from all over the world, drinking wines from all over the world, but I realized I wanted to create. I wanted to put that bottle on your table. How am I going to do that? My wife says, well, if we're going to do this. I'm, in 2006, I'm 36 years old. So we're both picking up, you know, our lives, our careers, leaving friends and family and everything that's familiar to us and, and changing it all up. Mm -hmm. So in 2006, I moved to, uh, we moved to Napa and I took a $12 an hour internship with Cake Bread Sellers and it really started from the bottom. To learn. To learn, to sponge it up. Yeah. You know, at that age, like you, you change, you change careers at 36 you can't lose. You know, there's no backup plan for that. Because yeah. I went to school for psychology. Um, I wanted to be a, a, a private therapist. I wanted to work on children. I wanted to have a partner who could work on the adults, you know, kind of fix the unit. Mm -hmm. And work for a, a, in a mental health hospital for adolescents, 13 to 17-year-olds, this lockdown facility. And did that for about four years, but kind of became disheartened with that system, you know, insurance running out and the kids aren't fixed and then they're going right back into that weird environment, mm -hmm. whatever that might have been. And so I kind of kind of floundered around, you know, was in um, and found my way into distributor sales. And then um, through that, figured out I want to create this stuff. Mm -hmm. So moved there, $12 an hour, 14 interns. I was the one that got hired. So at that point, I got $14 an hour. There you go. Ooh, well, big jump, big time. Yeah, and uh, mm -hmm. from then it was just it was through the roof. Um, I was able to uh, I formed a relationship with a guy that works at a, a winery called Colgan. Colgan is a really sexy winery. It's like a uh, five hundred dollars a bottle, five year waiting list wow. kind of cult cab kind of thing. And um, so I had the opportunity to go to work with Colgan and uh, Realm Sellers, and my last employer was Andy Erickson. So there's all these big, big time wineries that I was fortunate enough to be picked up by. Awesome. And it all went back to, I believe, being a little later in life, buckling down, doing the work, sponging it up, you know, the, 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 the knowledge, getting all the knowledge, going to school at the same time, 
it was it was a like a retraining you know it was like an olympic training mm -hmm. for winemaking so yeah. i had a great time doing it this came up last week in our interview about just being a sponge and putting in that work over the years because you're not gonna i mean that was probably a, a ego check for you to to drop everything at 36 when people are supposed to have their life figured out you know Absolutely. And start following your passion. So that's, right. that's awesome. Well, the ego check actually came before. So I was, uh, my boss put me up for this promotion that I wasn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have gotten the promotion, but I thought, well, if I get this promotion, we'll stay. Hmm. Right? As long as I'm like, that'd be great. I get this job. I probably am not qualified for yet. But it was the kind of thing where he put me in the, and threw me in the hat just to, so they would know my name and kind of get to know me. And as years come, then I can get that job. Yeah. And I didn't get it. So um, there's my ego in check and, and, and then went and took the 12 bucks an hour from Cake Red. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Pretty fun. Mm. Sweet. You go to Rosé? Go to the n number two. Absolutely. Why not? Mm. Oh, you finished yours. I <laughs> Thank you, sir. I've got a workout after this. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Thanks, sir. It looks incredible. This is rosé. Wow. So this rosé. Real. Thank you. Uh, we just released. We just sent out the uh, release letter this week. Wow. And this is 100% uh, Senso from Farmhouse Vineyards. There's a pick. Uh, yeah, so we just started uh, tasting this. So, so rosé comes out, man. Like people try to get this stuff out by like Valentine's Day or spring break, and and there's a lot of rosés that come out that time, and there's a lot of rosés that get consumed all through those hot months in every pool and every river and every lake around town. I need I build my wine to be a little more ageable, and it just needs more time before I release it. Hmm. So. This is this is hot off the press. All right. Hot off the press. So we're we're one of the first that yeah. are uh, yeah that are getting to it. Huh? Yeah, you are. How'd you come up with the name? Mm. Excuse me while I drink this wine. Seal. Yeah, I was really curious about this one. Well, it seems uh, like a unique name I've never heard before. Well, Ciel Buto is yeah. the given name for my great grandfather, mm. my uh, Papa Frenchie. And so, uh, yeah, everybody knows him or knew him as Frenchie. Mm -hmm. And so that's the name of the, this new second label that we have. We call it Papa Frenchie. But his given name was C.L. Buteau, Colette Louis Buteau. And Very he was French. Yeah. We win. They were born, the, the Buteaus came to uh, America in the 1820s from around Dijon. And uh, Frenchie was born in Abbeville, Louisiana in 1900. And... Uh, yeah, everybody knew him as Frenchy. I don't know if it was because he is French or if he he had a kind of a potty mouth, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, everybody knew him as Frenchy, so we called him Papa Frenchy. And when we came, when we wanted to do the the, the Texas Temper, this is the first one we did. The Texas Tempranillo was the first one we did. The 2014, mm -hmm. and then we knew we would branch out into Papa Frenchy. Hmm. Yeah. And then you see the new artwork as well. The new artwork is a sketch of Frenchie. Okay. In the sketch, um, so I'm super stoked about this. Dana Viraldi is this pop culture artist out of Manhattan. 
and uh, she goes by Dear Dana, D-E-E-R Dana. Okay. And I'm a big fan of Dana, and um, we cold called her and said, hey, we're, we need a new wine label. And she said, well, I've been wanting to do a wine label. And wow, so that's awesome. I know, it was incredible. It was great incredible. Timing. It was a great timing. So yeah. She did this for you. She did that. And that's her aesthetic with the banner underneath. And yeah. what she does is she sketches people she wants to have dinner with. So she started with like uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Andy Warhol, Picasso, you know, the artists coming out. But also she's done Cher and Rick Rubin and Rick Ross and <laughs> Lil Wayne yeah. and Larry David. And she's done all these pop culture icons. Wow. And my Papa Frenchie. So, That's awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. That is really cool. Pretty cool. So um, my wife is a big wine drinker. And I was telling her that we, you know, we have a wine expert coming on the show. And I said, if you wanted to hear, like, what would you want to know from someone who really knows mm -hmm. their wine? And her biggest thing, so, like, we're in a very health-conscious world, you know, mm -hmm. both on the eating and drink. There's always podcasts and blogs and things. She's specifically listened to a lot of podcasts about it. And she was kind of wondering, like, in the industry, what are the talks about? clean wine and healthy wine without additives like are you seeing that impact the, the wine industry yeah you know the conversation has turned to that thank goodness mm -hmm. um it's it's my philosophy from day one um the trend that people are talking about right now with natural wine mm -hmm. i think people are confusing natural wine with with more of a wine style okay. as opposed to a theory of winemaking mm -hmm. current trendy natural wines tend to be kind of sour and it's a style it's a taste profile and um but natural wine has been being made for centuries and and my wines are natural wines i approach my wines in a, in, in the with the mentality of what do i have available naturally and how can I best utilize that? So mm -hmm. all of my fermentations start with indigenous yeasts. Um, I, I, don't, I don't need commercial yeast if, if everything I have is viable. Um, I use whole clusters. Uh, that means instead of taking grapes away from their, from their stems, I put that in the mix. That's going to supply natural tannins. Tannins uh, chemically bind to, to create better color. There's a lot of things that, that we can do naturally to keep our hands off, low intervention, but still make really good wine. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've been doing for a long time. So this current trend, it's, it's, I like it. I feel like you can use the buzzwords of like toxic-free yeah. wine and everyone, everyone's ears perk up. Yes, you know? absolutely. So when you, when you, I, what I have started saying, like what I might say to your wife if she asks me this question in person, is I might say, well, what, what do you call a healthy wine or what do you call a natural wine or what do you, whatever it is, however you want to categorize it, what, what is that to you? Yeah. And it might be what's well, low sugar. Mm -hmm. well, what is low sugar? You know, what, um, yeah. a glass of wine has as much sugar as a strawberry. Right, which is next to nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Not right. Yeah. Unless it's poorly made wine that you have to add sugar to, that you have to add taste to, that you have to add chemicals to to clean it up. Which companies do? 
Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, a tremendous amount. There's a company out now that talks about a sulfur content, and, the, and mm -hmm. this number won't really matter, but my sulfur content in this wine, let's say, is 20 units um, of, of free sulfur that's able to go around and do its job to preserve this wine. There's companies that say, oh, well, other companies could put up to 350 units of sulfur. I have never seen or heard of that. That, that would be incredibly out of bounds. So it's a little bit of a scare tactic. That's yeah. the point. Okay. The point is this the scare tactic. There's, I cannot even imagine a wine that has 350 units of sulfur in it. A high sulfur content would be like 150. Hmm. You'd go, oh, what would you do to screw up your wine? Yeah. You know? Um, copper. Copper is a heavy metal, you know, toxic to humans. T copper is used to clean up wines. If you if you're just if you're letting your wine go and you you don't pay attention to it, you can clean it up with copper and sugar and just pay attention, hmm. right? Just like do like do your job and be good at it and pay attention, and then you don't have to do all of the additives and all the sugar and all the copper. Interesting. Does that answer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's marketing tactics for everything, right? Every type of food, you know, gluten-free and there's, you know, there's buzzwords that people flock to, especially over the last few years. So. Yeah. I would tell people though, across the board, sugar is not really the enemy as much as the, the added chemicals. Hmm. Um, like what kind of chemicals? Like the copper. Oh, like the, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like the copper. Putting that in there. Right. Uh. And, and the SO2. Yeah. So there's this um, grape concentrate out there. It's got a high, high, high SO2 content because it's it's grapes. It's all the garbage grapes all go together and they make this concentrate out of it. Mm. And in order for that not to start from any of it, your face tells it all. If it, in order for that not to ferment, it's like a high sulfur content. In yeah. It. And um, that is what's going to give you the headaches. So let me think, let me think. A lemon. A lemon has the same amount of sugar as a liter of wine, which is about, about two grams. In the wine industry, we measure sugar by grams per liter. This is a 750, but these are 750 bottles. But even bigger than this, a dry wine could have about two grams of sugar in it. Because like, it just stops. It's some, the bacteria stop working, and you're going to have something. There's yeah. not a wine with zero sugar. Yeah. Somebody tells you there's zero sugar, it's not accurate. Yeah, it's water. <laughs> right, right. So, um, you know, if you've ever eaten a lemon or had lemon water or lime water, if that didn't give you a headache, then wine is not giving you the headache. So it's not the sugar. It's not the sugar that's the enemy. I think it's, it's, it's something in the chemicals and huh. the fixing the wines. That's when it becomes unhealthy. Interesting. Yeah. We can taste sugar. That. Is that the difference between like a four dollar bottle of wine, you know, on the shelf, or a thirty, or like you said, five hundred for this other, you know, amazing companies? Like, what, how, what are the massive differences there? Absolutely, because if you think about, if you think about the volume of wine you need, so I make two hundred fifty cases of this wine. And that's a tiny amount. Like, like what's what's a what's a small? How many cases in a small lot wine, Lola? Like, small lot would would be what? 
100 cases, 1,000 cases? Yeah, 100 to 1,500. Right. 1,500 cases could be a small um, production. This is 250 cases. This, uh, um, the CLB Rosé is 50 cases. So this is tiny, tiny, tiny. I know every single thing that, that, that happened went into the, the, to make this wine. When you start talking about millions of cases, millions of cases, you have to start finding every raw product you can, whether that's grapes or that's other people's wines. And when you're doing that, you're really scraping. Hmm. And that is the beginning of the problem for those $4 wines, for those lower, not, not even lower price point, but those cheaply made wines. Gotcha. Because price points can move you in and out of let's say dangerous wines mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily true I, I know a cult wine that charges like 60 bucks a bottle they sell a million cases all over the world it's a crazy brand and um it's 17 percent alcohol 10 grams of sugar so2 through the roof that wine will definitely give you a headache mm. so price point isn't always the indicator but when they're cheaply made Gotcha. Right? When they're sourced cheaply, it's bad ingredients, right? You talk about food and health, it's, it's the ingredients. It's, it's what do you start with? Yeah. And if I don't make a wine, if I make a wine that I don't like, I'll sell it. Like, I'll get rid of it. I'll let it be somebody else's problem. But see, that's where those wines come from, somebody else's problems. Now you're fixing, hmm. right? I get that problem. Now I have to make it better. I have to add the sugar. I have to add the color. I have to get the copper. Now, speaking of problems, let's talk a little bit about the challenges you faced when building a wine business. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd say the biggest, the biggest challenge, really, in moving back to Texas, is getting is is kind of getting over the the perception of being an outsider. Mm. Um, you know, I get introduced as here's that California guy. You know, things like that. Like, really, even still. Uh, yeah, yeah. How does that make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> Greg's a licensed Man, therapist. We, yeah, we might need more time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's um, so that that that's that's been one thing. But you know, the, one of the things about the wine industry that people don't really think about people think, oh, wine, wine. I'm gonna I'm gonna make wine. I'm gonna have a winery. Yeah. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of money. You have to have what a lot of money. What are we talking here? What's well, a lot? I want to build a winery right now. Sure. Um, I am... This is this a true story? True story. Okay. True story. That was a hypothetical thing. Okay. True Thank story. You. I want to I want to build a winery probably on Austin's east side, I, I, here in town. Wow. Yeah. Um, I want to have a place to, to bring my people, to make my wine, a, a place to call home. Mm -hmm. And uh, looking for investment for that project. We're probably to build a winery, to build inventory that would... Uh, keep that winery in business, mm -hmm. probably $3 million. Wow. That includes land, the tools, yep. the staffing, right, right, three right. right out of the gate. Yeah, a lot of that is operating. Um, mm -hmm. But if, if the five of us right now wanted to say, let's, let's make a wine, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say that. Let's go back to like that kind of economics. Yes. Let's, let's make some wine. We've all got... 50 friends and family, so let's make 100 cases of wine, right? And we split it, you know, 20 cases each, and it'll, it'll be great. To do that will be 
and that's and that's simple and easy to do. I'd say ten thousand. You know. Okay. So ten thousand dollars to get you twenty cases. Yeah. And then as soon as all your friends and family buy that wine, then you're out of business, and now you're you need to to make the next wine. Sure. And so that money needs to come. But we can't just make that. It's not like making an omelet. Like, oh, let's get in the kitchen, make an omelet, and then we'll go sell it. That's going to be there for a long time. Yeah. You know, this was made in seventeen. Yeah. You know, that money's been sitting there since two thousand seventeen, mm-hmm. and it will still be sitting there for another until we sell it out. Wow. Right. So. Yeah. And then, and then layer that over and over and over and over and over and over in all your wines. Where are you okay. making your wine now? Okay. In Fredericksburg. Yeah, so there's a winery. For, not at a, it's like a, co- a co-op winery or something? Yeah, it is. It's like a co-working space, you could say. It's called oh. Custom Crush. Cool. Custom Crush is a very popular way to make wines, especially for a startup. Um, you have the building, the tanks, the forklift, the staff. You have everything you need to make your wines. I don't. So I say, hey, can I come make my wines in your place? I'll pay you a little money. I help you pay for all your stuff. You help me make my wine. It's kind of like we had a guy on here, the Brew Brother. He does contract brewery or yeah. contract brewing. Sounds like very Sounds similar. Familiar. So how does the how does your wine not get tainted in their in their machinery? Like how does it not get yeah. mixed? It's a uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of detail oriented. Um, it's a lot of hovering on my part. So uh, cross-contamination, bacterial issues, very, very, very prevalent in wineries and shared spaces. If, um, if you and I are sharing a winery, I'm going to want to clean everything once you're done with it. Yeah. And when I'm done with it, you're going to want to clean everything. We're, we're both going to want to be at, at, at step one yeah. when we walk in. And, and, and it's just a matter of me constantly being at the winery, constant communication, really check, double check, triple check. And then there's a golden rule of these custom crush situations, which is you don't touch my stuff and I don't touch yours. Yeah, sure. And that could be equipment, that could be wine, that could be you name it. But the golden rule of custom crush is you, you don't mess with my stuff and I won't mess with your stuff. And so if everybody plays by those rules, we, we, all, we can all make the wines that we want to make and never dis- disrupt the others. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like, uh, going back to the question, capital is probably the number one obstacle when building a wine business. I would say so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about number two, brand awareness? or what? Well, the wine's not going to sell itself. And that's, that's, that's... Especially in Fredericksburg. And I've heard y'all, yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, y'all asked people before, you know, what would you go back and tell yourself? And, you know, I, I, I would go back and tell myself, wine doesn't sell itself. You, okay. you, you run out of friends and family, right? Yeah, sure. We make those 20 cases we just talked about, yeah. and our friends and family has it, and they all bought like two cases, and they all drink about three bottles a year. And they're going to have that wine for like five years. So once you run out of friends and family, you have to go make real sales. Mm-hmm. And that's when distributors come into play. And that's when uh, accounts around town come into play. And that's when the tasting room comes into play. You know, uh, one of the big obstacles then would be, how are you going to sell this wine? Yeah, People don't think enough about that. You, get, you, you start projecting. You're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be great. 
we're just going to sell out every year. We're going to double and triple and we're going 300% next year. And yeah, ooh, next thing you know, you're sitting on like five years of wine. I've yeah, seen it scary. happen over and over. The first, the first, uh, it's a good time to say the first wine that we released in Texas, yeah. 2014 Tempranillo was the Texas Monthly and uh, Wine and Food Foundation Wine of the Year. Super cool, super cool. That a lot of times people will take that and they're like, "Oh my God, well we're about to go national," you know? And they're like, "Oh, let's make ten thousand cases now." Yeah. Oh, if you do that, then you're just sunk. Yes, yeah, so Ian actually had a question about that. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, what does that mean? It's recognitions yeah. are great, mm -hmm. but what does that mean for you, or what has it meant for you since yeah. you since you won that award? recognition like that is huge you know you always want to be recognized in your peer group as as you know being being one of the top wines around and uh to be called the wine of the year is is a it's great yeah um i don't believe a lot in the competitions the gold medal and the um, the, you know, these, they're, they're more fundraisers in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think folks have figured out that, you know, we can, if I make, let's say I make 50 different wines and I want to submit my wines to that competition and get a silver medal for it. Every wine I submit has a f entry fee, right? Yeah. And then I ship them the wine for free and then they throw this big party. And then I get my participatory, you know, bronze medal for, for doing that. Yeah. Um, I don't believe too, too much in that. I don't think that's really recognizing anything. Another just marketing tactic mm -hmm. totally. for you to say we won the bronze medal. Yeah, you could use it that way. But if I look at the, so, so some of these things will post their numbers and they'll say, okay, uh, we had more entries this year than ever before. We had 600 entries this year and we gave away 592 medals. Right, yeah. so you're like, it's too many. What do you, yeah, what, what do you, yeah, what, what are you recognizing here? Yeah. Why, why, what, what am I proud of here? Um, but to, to, to be called that by Texas Monthly, huge. Yeah, we are right now, we're at the uh, state fair in, in Dallas. Oh, yeah, um, this week, yeah, this, Sweet. yeah, this whole month. They, in fact, this wine is was their blue ribbon selection, and so that's a big deal, yeah, you know, because it's not watered down, it is, it is a panel of people tasting and what do they think is the best wine and what let's recognize those brands for that best wine so it, it varies to answer that it, it varies some recognition is excellent any recognition yeah. is excellent but so, some of it's just more watered down than others speaking of wine of the wine of the year you ready oh got in front of us oh, let's do it that's the one we haven't tried yet getting what's the term you use when you it's breathing. It's breathing. Yeah. Yes. So we've had this sitting since. So should we? Should we oh right, that? yeah. So let's try it. Okay. So you, you see the color in the glass already. You can you can kind of tip it over your white background there, your yeah. tablecloth or your yeah. white paper. So you get a dark red. You mm -hmm. got some red ring around the edge and kind of darken the glass. You're gonna swirl it a little bit. Everybody's doing a good job of swirling already. Everybody knows how to swirl. If you don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Set it on. Yeah, set it on the table and and hold it tight and start spinning. Smell it. You start to smell those aromas. Uh, you start to get like the cherry cola and the fig and the. 
doesn't oh, oh and and going back to that like oh we're novices or whatnot yeah. it doesn't matter what you're smelling or even if you're smelling okay. all that matters is do you like it yes or no um, okay. really just that simple if 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 you keep that in your head you can converse about wine okay I like it yes or no because that's gonna lead to why if you go well what do you smell oh that's what you, you know you get the cold sweats you're like I don't know what I'm supposed to smell. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what you're supposed to smell. It just matters if you like it or not. Swirl, smell, sip. Work That's what I'm talking out. about. Typically, the first <laughs> sip is kind of a cleanser, mm. kind of a mouthwash, if you will. I like me a contemporaneo. It's always mm. that little, little spicy. Was it like a leathery taste or something? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Whoa, look Absolutely. at this guy. Look at this guy, see? Tastes like a catcher's mitt from 1940. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> May have had a Tempranillo or two. This yeah. is very good. Okay. Uh, I, I think I told this story on one of our shows that I went to Italy for my honeymoon a few years ago. Mm. And I was like, I was never big into wine. And I was expecting to, at these wine tastings, to like have this, like, just magical experience. Yeah. And all of a sudden get it. Didn't happen. <laughs> it's all right. I was like, I'm gonna taste it. I'm gonna taste the the leather and the grass. And no, I've been to Fredericksburg. I've been to California and different places several times. Done a lot of tastings, and I still, I feel like I've accumulated a little bit of understanding of what you should be tasting when you're drinking certain wines. But to to know it all, I'm just oh, maybe there's fig in there. I have no idea. It's all right. Is there a fig? Do you like it or do you not like it? That's right. That's it. And why? See? This guy listens. Where's the Randy Hester? Yeah. I walked onto <laughs> I walked onto the plane the other day and I was like, I smell buffalo wings. I turned to the flight attendant, I was like, someone have wings? He goes, Yeah, someone walked on before. Hmm. So it's not wine for me, but it's wings. And then do you like it? Or not? And if not, you move on to the next. I wonder where you're going with that. So, speaking of California and Texas, what are the major differences? You have you have wines from, from both. What are the differences between the two? Ooh, well, um, you know, California is a pretty established region at this point in, in, the, in the world wine scene. And so, uh, different regions of California, just like in France, just like in Italy, just like in Spain, um, they kind of know what, what, what varieties of wines they're making the, the great varietals here in Texas. Um, we're still discovering that we're further down the road than we were say 10 years ago, 10 years ago, the discussion was, you know, Texas doesn't even know what they're supposed to grow. Mm. Um, we're, we're there now at least. And I would say that, that, um, that's not an easy answer, but it's basically sort of Mediterranean coastal. Um, whereas specific places like Burgundy is going to be Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. It's very specific. That's what they grow. That's what they do. That's what they've always done. Because the grapes grow the best there? Or? They do well there. Okay. Absolutely. And then going back to the history and tradition. So there's a lot of history and tradition that drives sure. what we do in wine. Right now in Texas, we're actually, this is the way I look at it, we're kind of setting those traditions. Yeah. You know, we're kind of making that history now. And in my research, take it back to California, all of my experience in education is in Colt Cab, Cabernet, 
Merlot, uh, Petit Verdot, uh, these big Bordeaux varietals. I chose to make Grenache because my goal was to come home to Texas. It was a 10-year plan, move in 06, move home in 19, I mean in 16. 10-year um, plan. So where I could have had that career in cult cab, I went down the path of Rhone varietals because Rhone varietals are now, what I said before, kind of Mediterranean coastal. So Grenache uh, is what I did there. Here, you can do Italy. You can do French varietals. You can do Spanish varietals. In my research here, I feel like all the best wines that I've had have been Tempranillo. And so I believe that Tempranillo will be what Texas becomes known for. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to do my part to see if that's going to be the history of, of our wine industry. Yeah. Maybe it won't be. Uh, Mouvedre does really well. This is, this is a, a, a variety that grows well in the Rhone region of France. Uh, a wine that I make in California also does really well here. So I would say knowing those specific varietals in, in other more established regions is what sets apart Texas right now because right now we're in the ballpark but we haven't quite narrowed it down yet. And that's only 10 years. That's not that long ago. That's crazy. Well, consider this. Because we're so far behind, it's a total advantage. All you have to do is look at other successful regions, Mm -hmm. do what they do. Right? It's all laid out. How good can you mimic success? Exactly. How do we sell wine? Tasting room. Mm. How do you get wine to other people in in the area? Wine club, yep. ship it, right? Like all of these things, these established practices and wineries all over the world, all we have to do for now is to mimic that. We'll catch up. Mm-hmm. Now we can start to slice and dice and get down to it. And I think that's why it's moving pretty quickly. Awesome. Now you mentioned wine club. It's actually what I wanted to ask you about. Tell us a little bit about that. Wine clubs are great. Um, I always tell people, Join a wine club if it makes sense for you. So again, going back to sort of keeping it simple, like do I like it or do I not? Mm-hmm. And it, it shouldn't really take a, a lot more than that for us, the five of us, to sit here and enjoy a glass of wine and talk about life. Do I like this bottle or not? Nope. Do I like this bottle or not? Yep. Good. Now let's move on to our life conversation. Same thing with the club. If your lifestyle can support not only financially, but like how much wine do you drink? How much wine can you store? Right. Think about it like practically. And then and then you can figure out, can I handle two cases a, a, a year being shipped to my house? Can I handle that financially? Where am I going to keep it? Where am I going to drink it? Is my wife going to drink it all? Are my buddies going <laughs> to, right? Are my buddies going to drink, you know, like what's going to happen here? Yeah. Uh, if it fits your lifestyle, then absolutely. Because we hear all the time people will go to Napa or they'll go out to Fredericksburg and they'll get smitten with the whole thing. And then they're like, oh, they're 10 clubs in, and they're like 15 grand on wine every three months. And you're right. I mean, not everybody can do that. So I love wine clubs. I'm in three wine clubs. Um, And then what I do with my personal, with with our CL Buto wine club, is we set up our clubs in the way that we want to enjoy them. Meaning, if you don't like white wine, cool. We'll sub out for rosé and reds. Doesn't matter. We're not going to make you take the whites because you see that sometimes in wine clubs. They get behind on whites and they're like, start shipping you loads of whites, right? You're like, ah, I'm overboard. I'm out, right? I'm done. Um, 
mix and match red and white. Uh, we give you a choice, three, six, or 12 bottles. We just keep it simple. Yeah. If, you, if you're in for three, I can do three. That's easy, right? I don't know if I'm going to case on everything, right? Like, if I know, I, if I know the producer and I love the wines, man, I'm cases. And then with that, there's discounts, there's free shipping. So just ways that we like to enjoy our club is what we do. And then we entertain. We throw parties. Uh, this fall, our fall party is going to be, uh, we're taking our wine club out to lunch. We're taking our wine club mm -hmm. out to uh, Foreign and Domestic in North Loop. And um, yeah, thank you for being in our club. Come have lunch with us. Lunch. We'll be wine paired and, and all that, right? So. That's how we run our club. Can you give us like a, I don't know if you know this offhand, but like if I wanted three bottles of wine a month, from a financial standpoint, what does that look like? Do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, let's say, let's use the Tempranillo, 50 bucks, right? Okay. So 150 bucks a month. Okay. And, then, and I'll ship you three bottles a month of the Tempranillo. Hmm. Um, with that, so, so with that, so let's say I do that, you want that once a month, every month. That's a pretty big commitment on your yeah. part. And so from my standpoint, I'm going to say, well, I'm, I'm going to ship that to you for free. I'll cover your shipping for you. So thank you for, for you know, supporting my brand, supporting us the way that you are. Because what's going to happen is you're going to bring it to work, or you're going to drink it with your friends, or you're going to take it to Thanksgiving, and you're going to spread the word and spread the word and spread the word. Mm -hmm. And we see that. Like, we see the separate, you know, the Kevin Bacon seven steps of separation. Seven yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we see that, we know how we know everybody. You know, oh, that person came through this person, yeah. this person came through that person. It works, and that's how we do it. We, we, we don't have a lot of attrition because we connect with our people. Mm -hmm. And that's another way that we like to enjoy wine clubs. Yeah. Um, Kermit Lynch is a wine club that we're in, and he's a um, French wine importer and also uh, does some uh, Italian wines as well. But we go to the store in Berkeley to pick up our wines. And then you get to know people and you get to know the different salespeople. And they're like, oh, well, here's that Gamay you wanted or here's this cool wine or that cool wine. And they have a relationship with me. And I think that's pretty special. Yeah. So I try to do the same thing with, with our people. We try to connect and, and just really like come sit at our home and enjoy our lifestyle with us. That's awesome. Yeah. Love it. So what are the, the long-term plans? You've been here three years, right? What are the long-term plans for, I know you said you want to open a winery, but what's the timeline on that? Yeah, well, that's, um, that's going to depend on investment. You know, we're looking for investment. And um, for now, we're doing pop-up tastings around town. We have a little uh, tasting room situation happening out in the hill country. Okay. Probably this winter. So that's going to be a great way for us to connect um, that's more short term. I would love to get a winery built um, over the next year to year and a half. I would love for that to be here in town. Um, I mean, I just can't. I, I, it, it would be pretty exciting to me to have a, a warehouse in the, on the east side and, and yeah. you know, to have a place for Austin to come and drink some wine and, yeah. and experience, you know, either a Saturday afternoon or, or a sit down, you yeah. know, food paired kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the future for the work part of things. Yeah. Sure. Um, that'd be awesome on the east side. I know we got a ton of breweries over there. We need some, we need some wine. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a couple of wineries in town. Um, I just, I, I, I like to entertain like it's my home. 
And so I just want to, I want a bigger home with tanks mm -hmm. and four yep. in it. Love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think, uh, sorry, well, I was just going to say more immediately. I, I was going to say, uh, Texas wine month in October and whatnot. We have a, uh, we're participating in a, uh, three part farm dinner event at Apis okay. restaurant and apiary in Spicewood. It's October 20th. It's, uh, to honor the Texas Hill country, uh, the farmers and the, the bounty. Oh, nice. Uh, Apis. Apis. Okay. Apis out in Spicewood. Uh, yeah, you can visit apis.com. How do you uh, spell that? A-P-I-S. Apis. A-P-I-S. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so that's in the future. That's coming. Yeah? Awesome. <laughs> Got a little speed round for you now. Okay. Oh, okay. boy. Okay. Start right. your engines, folks. Here Ooh. we go. Should I drink white yeah. or pink for this? Both. Which, I, yeah, uh, man, both. Yeah. Yeah. Double fist. Yeah. <laughs> First thing that comes to mind... Ian, kick us off. An item on your Austin bucket list. You're back home. What's on your bucket list? I, I need to get back to Hamilton Pool now that you can't get back to Hamilton Pool. So hard. So hard. Yeah. I haven't been in, in like 15 years and now you just can't go. So I got to do that. Okay. Favorite restaurant in Austin? Man, it's got to be Dot Dewey. Um, oh, there you go. I hate, yeah. yeah, you know, I hate to just finger one restaurant, but like, because there's so <laughs> much, there's so much like uh, Bufalina and Barley Swine and, I mean, Salt and Thyme and, uh, God, I know I'm missing people, but I, that is... Hey, grab what you like. I could go to Dai Dewey like every day. The Taqueria downtown, like the whole bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, best day trip spot. Best day trip besides Hampton Pool. Go out to Louis Miller. Go out to Louis Miller and eat barbecue. Louis Miller. I've actually not been to Louis Miller. Is that the one in Where Elgin? Is that is the one in Llano, isn't it? Up north? Should I Google it? Let's get our maps out. Because Louis Miller, the, this, this place, Louis Miller is in an old basketball gym. That's really cool. And when you're in it, you look around, you kind of see that. And you came up with that quick too. That's that's a man. I'm fun a day trip I'm an old fat kid from way back, and <laughs> and I barbecue and wine. Barbecue and wine. Oh, it's in Taylor. See my Taylor. Taylor. My father-in-law's oh. gonna kill me on that one. Okay. Uh, yeah. This might be a tough question for you. Red wine or white wine? I'm I'm pro well oh. rosé. I'm, oh, I'm rosé. I'm rosé. Yeah, I'm pink. Probably 360 days a year. Wow. Um, I like all day. Yeah, rosé all year. Uh, yeah, because I'm more colder wines. I'm pretty picky on reds, and I can experiment more price point wise with cold with roses and whites and so i can easily just open bottle after bottle like hey lola try this hey guys well you know like boom yeah. boom let's do this where reds everybody's bringing red to the party yeah everybody's bringing red to the party mm -hmm. so i'm i'm gonna bring a bottle or two of something i want to drink and then just hide it in the back and okay. there you go. <laughs> like that. There you go. Yeah. Is, there you go so the next question favorite wine to pair with filet mignon is it is it a rosé or is it something different 
for filet, I would probably do Pinot. I'll probably do Pinot. Pinot Noir on filet. If I go ribeye with a like a like a bigger, fattier content, I would probably go Gamay with a higher acidity. Uh, okay. Yeah, filet and Pinot. Filet and Pinot. Best date yeah. spot. Best date spot. Oh, man. We've been married. He's blushing. <laughs> <laughs> We've been married a long time. Probably going to the uh, to the uh, the uh, Austin, the movie theater with the wine and the Al- French fries. Alamo? The Alamo, yes. Yeah. Alamo Drive no, House. That one. Yeah. Okay. Biggest influence or influencer in your life? Mm-hmm. Let's get a little deep here. Yeah. It's going to be uh, in my life life? Or my, I'm gonna say wine life. In my wine life, sure, uh, it's gonna be my last employer, Andy Erickson. Andy, when I got the idea to move to Napa back in like '04 '05, I made a list of top 50 vineyards, uh, people, wineries, etc. Top 50 list. If I can, this is my list. If I can go to work for any of these people, this whole thing will have been worth the while. Andy was the number one person on that list. Um, I got to know, I actually came to know Andy, and then he actually called me and said, hey, I've got this winery. And so that was my last employer. There you go. Wow. And so, yeah, so today, like, he's he's an incredible winemaking mind, mm. and um, he's just a cool guy. And so, awesome. And he's a friend now, so that's pretty cool. Favorite book of all time or podcast? I even, I even throw in movie. Can I go lowbrow and say S Town? What is that? S the S Town podcast. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's pretty strong. That's pretty impactful. So pretty, I'm actually not familiar with it. Yeah, so it was crappy town. Crappy town. Crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check out S Town. Check out S Town. <laughs> it's a, one of those bingeable. Podcast. Totally bingeable. Yeah, when you're driving back and forth to Lubbock Vineyards, you listen yeah. to S Town. <laughs> Second to what's brewing ETX. Yes, yes, yes. Last but not least, a hidden talent that most people don't know you have. Um, I can totally not sing very well. All right, let her rip. Uh, <laughs> I've had the time of my life. Yeah. And I'll owe it all to you. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Or I could go. I could go ZZ Top and go. Ba da ba ba. Na na na. How how how. Right. Pretty good. Okay. Yeah, that's all I got. I mean, that's all I, I got. Was gonna be worse. But it's a great hidden talent. Let's <laughs> <laughs> keep that shit hidden. <laughs> <laughs> I sound great in the shower. Me and Aretha and Luther, like we can all we oh, can yeah. blow it out. Love it. Yeah, First yeah. engineer that question. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for this week's Weekly Brew, Brew, Brew. (laughs) Take it away, boys. Not the best news for those of us who routinely use street parking downtown. Starting on October 14th, Austin Transportation will implement a citywide price hike to $2 an hour, and this rate will apply to all of City of Austin on street parking. So the current rates are $1.20 downtown. Uh, downtown core and a dollar outside of it. So this is a pretty significant price jump. City of Austin has observed that all the current rates, uh, people are routinely exceeding parking time restrictions. 
So this could help alleviate that issue and cause more turnover, providing convenient short-term access to places of interest downtown. Is that BS or what? I think they're just, I mean, it's strictly money. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. Let's double the prices. Yeah. Back to the roots. Austin yeah. Transportation states, on-street prices are still lower than off-street prices. Pay 10 to 20 bucks to get in one of those garages or parking lots for two hours, you know? True. Um, so, when you guys head downtown, do you typically park on the street or in a garage or... Well, what do you think about that? Well, uh, this is Lola here with Serendipity Wines, and so I'm a distributor for Randy's Wine, CL Buto, and when I'm traveling around downtown, I actually mm -hmm. have a fancy-dancy little magnet that I just slap on the back of my car that says Serendipity Wines, T-A-B-C license number, so I park wherever I want. Really? <laughs> That's nice. awesome. Wow. Yeah, but usually, I'll, you know, if, if I get lucky, you know, score a street spot, pay the meter. I'm from L.A., so... Parking's not a, it, yeah. a non-issue, really, in comparison. And two bucks, that sucks, but it's not five or seven like San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Yet. Since they got right. the app where yeah. you could park and oh, pay yeah. with the app, it's made it so, not having to go get a sticker and all that. Mm -hmm. That's definitely made it easier, but it's nice to be able to go there for a few hours now and pay three bucks. But I'll be the first to admit that I'm usually one of those guys that undervalues the time that I'll be there. I'll be in and out in 15 minutes, and it took 45. Yeah. So maybe I'm the it's reason. But the apps, too, the apps will tell you, like, your time is expiring. Yeah. So you just go, oh, 15, yeah. 15 more. It costs you, like, another school, 20. You know, kind of, I'm just, just having jumped on the app game. So. You're not on that. I need to get on Park that. ATX. I've got it downloaded. Yeah. Don't Johnson used to make apps. Yeah? Fitness apps. We need to get you on. Ah, nice. <laughs> Well, folks, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's interview with the lovely Randy Hester. Now you know all about CL Buteau and their delicious assortments of high-quality wine. Check them out on Instagram at C-L-B-U-T-A-U-D. That's CL Buteau. And to join their wine club, go to www.clbuteau.com. Remember to subscribe on iTunes. That way you get a little notification when our latest episode comes out each week. We'd love a five-star rating if deserved. And please don't forget to follow us on Instagram at What's Brewing ATX. Until next week, Austin. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.